feet, you go find them, you throw your arms around them, you give them a big kiss on the mouth if you're a girl. Well, I'm telling you quarterbacks, you get all the good-looking <laughs> women. Oh, a, what a beautiful woman. Uh, the women lose their mind. Hello, and welcome to the Dual Threat Podcast. This is our first episode. My name is Nick. I am Cam. How you doing, I'm doing great. You know, the weather couldn't have been better. It was sunny and like 80 degrees today here at the sunny shores of New Jersey. I've been able to hang out on the beach this week. I've had to go to work as well a little bit, but, you, you know, I really can't complain. How have you been doing? Been doing good. I've been dealing with whatever we call DMV weather. It's been raining a little bit. It was a little nice earlier today. Just trying to make it through. Did some football workouts and paying attention to some NBA free agency. You know, NBA free agency is just such an interesting topic because of the amount of weight that one individual player holds on a team. And I think the only other position in sports where one person can impact a team so much is a college football coach. And that's kind of where we're going to start. So... Um, Looking at some of the new coaches for this season, Scott Satterfield, in my opinion, was the biggest name in um, this college football coaching search. He is going to Louisville. He's from App State. And I can't talk about App State without mentioning this. So are you at all familiar with that? I mean, it has nothing to do with Satterfield, but... That is hilarious. So, so for like 10 years ago, App State put out an advertisement from their school. It's like a two-minute video talking about how they're hot, hot, hot. Um, probably the corniest and greatest college song of all time. But moving along to that, what are your impressions on Scott Satterfield going to the University of Louisville? I've watched Scott Satterfield for a couple games. And I like him as a coach. Don't like to fit at Louisville, personally. I just feel like the program and what Louisville fans are going to expect from Satterfield isn't necessarily what he provides as a coach. You know, that's an interesting take. Obviously, they're used to electric offenses. They, they had Bobby Petrino twice. Even when they didn't have him, they had Teddy Bridgewater, who was a first-round quarterback. I think, initially, it's going to be rough. The players quit on Petrino last year. But once Satterfield finds his quarterback, whether it's Malik Cunningham or Jawan Pass or it's a new recruit, I think they're going to have success. Satterfield went 4-8 and eight in his first year, 7-5 and five in his second year, and 11-2 and two in his third year at App State. And that second year was critical because he found his quarterback, Taylor Lamb, who ended up being a four-year starter. The thing with Appalachian State is a couple things. One, it was a program that has been – designed with running the ball. When they're in the FCS and when they were FCS powerhouse, this is a team known for running the ball and just controlling the game physically, which is what he's going to try to bring at Louisville. But that's not the attitude Louisville fans are kind of thinking. So when they see a bunch of runs, slower down offense, they're going to be like, we're going back in time. This isn't what we want. But that's kind of what Satterfield does. You know, I think you're right about slowing down tempo. Although, I think slowing down tempo could be a good idea in that division. Obviously, he's competing with Clemson and Florida State 
um, Florida State bringing in Kendall Bryles. They're going to speed things up, and Clemson spreads it out and throws it all over the field. It's not that I don't think it's a bad idea. I just don't think it's going to excite the fan base or the athletic directors and the boosters, which when you're at a Power 5 program, with success is also how you get that success. Think about what made Ole Miss, Baylor, all the new Oregon, all those new types of programs that just popped out the radar. What got those people's attention, what gravitated to us, was the big plays. It was the DeAnthony Thomas. It was the RG3s, the Bryce Petties. All those type of players are why we drew into that. And that's what got those fan bases excited. Absolutely. Doesn't really does that. Yeah, and as a Michigan fan, I can completely relate to this. When we hired Rich Rod, um, it was a complete culture shock, and he wasn't the right fit for our program. Uh, coming from West Virginia and the, the spread option style offense that he ran with Pat White and Steve Slayton, and it just didn't work out in Michigan. Uh, speaking of West Virginia. They had another coach leave uh, this offseason. That was Dana Holgerson. He left for Houston in what many perceived to be a step back. In, in my opinion, Holgerson's betting on Houston getting into the Big 12. In my opinion, it's a step up no matter where you go. While West on paper is the better job, I think Holgerson's going to find a lot more happiness and a lot more appreciation at the University of Houston. This is a program that's expecting 10 wins. And for a long time, not a long time, about last 10, 15 years, have really thought themselves as the premier group of five team. And Holgerson is a big-time coach who can get wins, who can create some excitement. Houston's a perfect fit for him. And he actually has ties to the state of Texas. So uh, I think he didn't make a mistake. I think he made the right choice leaving for Houston. First of all, I mean, I mean, it's a huge paycheck he's getting. He's getting to completely rebuild that staff all on uh, Tillman Fertitta's watch and his paycheck. If Houston gets into the Big 12, Holgerson will have one of the best jobs in the Big 12 and in the state of Texas. And if not, Holgerson can still either stay at Houston and win at a level like Gary Patterson at TCU or Chris Peterson at Boise State, or he could leave for a better job in the Big 12, say Baylor or TCU. I think we all agree that Houston eventually may get that call. The only issue that Houston has is the fact that they're in Houston, and a lot of those Big 12 teams don't necessarily want another Texas team. But think about what Houston's going to have. They're going to have a coach with the ties who are going to be able to recruit those local guys. Like in a situation where Tom Herman was able to get Ed Oliver. There's a lot of talent in the Houston area. If Holgerson can get that talent to stay home, create the connections with the Texas coaches, which is really huge in the state of Texas, maybe more than any other state that have the connections with those high schools. Houston, whether in the Big 12 or in the AAC, as long as they got Holgerson, they're going to be able to win some games. And I actually think they have a good shot at getting into the Big 12 if that conference decides to expand beyond 10. Looking at the teams that they'd potentially be looking at, UCF, Boise State, and BYU, and maybe Cincinnati at the Group of Five level are the only teams that are on Houston's level in terms of popularity, brand awareness, and fan support, which I think are the things that matter for getting into a conference. And the Big 12 doesn't have a conference network, so it does not need to pull a Big 10 
and drive up subscriptions for a cable network by breaking into new large markets like Rutgers and Maryland with New York and D.C. But they do have the Longhorn Network, which is just <laughs> as important because they got to keep Texas happy. And that may actually be the one thing that gets Houston in. Because remember the last time, Texas was actually campaigning for Houston. The problem is, I don't think the other Texas teams necessarily want Houston in. If they don't want them in, what's Iowa State going to do? Yeah, no, Texas is such pull that if Texas really wants Houston in and Oklahoma's okay with it, and I assume they would be considering they play a bunch in the non-conference, they play all the time, um, I think Houston has a shot at getting in. Staying in the Big 12, uh, both Kansas schools made new coaching hires. What do we think of this? Who do you think is the better fit for the long term? Les Miles at Kansas or Chris Kleiman at Kansas State? I think it's Kansas State and Kleiman. I like Les Miles as a head coach. I loved his style at LSU, even if it wasn't the fan favorite. I loved how he was able to get those big-time recruits to really win consistently. The problem is, what he's going to want to do at Kansas, I just don't think it's possible. Yeah, absolutely. The number of scholarships they're missing, it's just such a disadvantage to be the head coach there. Charlie Weiss put him in a hole, and David Beatty wasn't able to get him out of that hole. And Les Miles is going to be stuck in the same hole. I was just reading my Athlon about uh, my copy of the Athlon Sports Preview about Kansas. And essentially, they're too deep on the offensive side, has two underclassmen. Nick Williams, who's a backup right guard, and Puka Williams, their star running back, who might not even play. So while they have some talent defensively, Bryce Tornadin and Corion Harris are great in the secondary. I don't love their coordinators, and they just don't have depth. I think the biggest thing that Kansas is banking on is that Les Miles can get those recruits and use his name as Les Miles to get guys in there, which is honestly not the worst idea. The problem is, A, Kansas is just a hard sell. Uh When people think of Kansas, they do not think of football success. Yeah, and that starts at the top, and I'm glad they got rid of Shayon Zenger at athletic director, brought in somebody like Jeff Long, who has experience with the college football playoff committee. He's all in on football. Even if his track record isn't great, he's invested in football and focused on football. Meanwhile, Shayon Zenger was the one running around saying, I went out to find the best, and I came back with Charlie Weiss. So the administration is better. Um, I think Les Miles will have more success than the coaches before him. But what might that be? Four wins? Five wins? Is That that might be the ceiling in the next five years. And then once that happens, Les Miles will be 70, and there's a chance that as a coach, maybe he just gives it up and quits. If Kansas can even make a bowl, then hiring Les Miles is a huge success. But if you're going to fix the problems internally, create the revenue, create the recruiting classes and the – pipeline that you need miles could be the guy the issue is that what he built his pipelines on were louisiana texas and some of those east other eastern georgia alabama all those areas but is kansas really going to walk in and even get the smaller guys that Les miles would have passed over at lsu i honestly don't think he can actually pull that off I completely agree. I think recruiting is going to be such a challenge there. 
Um, moving along to a completely different subject in the world of coaching, three ACC coastal programs hired new coaches this offseason. Miami hired Manny Diaz after Mark Rick stepped away. North Carolina hired Mac Brown. Uh, the, the, there's a third one here. Can you help me out for a second? Only the best school in the state of Georgia and possibly the entire world, the Georgia Institute of Technology. Uh, oh, how, how could I forget your team, the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, the Waffle House Institute of Technology? They hired Jeff Collins. And, it, you know, I really like that fit. I'll let you start with the ACC Coastal. I know the Coastal. I know the chaos of the Coastal. But I also remember back in the early days of the Coastal when it was Virginia Tech and Georgia Tech running the show. And to give back to that level for Georgia Tech, it's going to require the recruiting, which was an issue with Paul Johnson. The reason why we were able to have the success early was because we had the carryover from the previous regime's coaches with all their recruits, like Demarius Thomas, Josh Nesbitt, and we were able to turn that into wins. I don't Wait, know so that, so like, that was the Chan Gailey administration yes. at Georgia Tech. That is. It, it's just a shock to me how well Chan Gailey, in hindsight, recruited for a guy who really didn't have his hands in college football that long. The issue is for Georgia Tech is I just Jeff Collins could, as like he's been doing now, can slowly build up the recruiting. But even if you give him six, seven years, I don't think how much that's going to change anything. Like Georgia Tech's problems is more than just a systematic offense, and the first two years are going to be rough to watch. Oh, yeah. They open up the season at Clemson. They finish with Georgia. So you're not going to have much momentum at the beginning of the year. And at the end of the year, that Georgia game might kill all momentum you had in the month of November. It's going to be a rough season this year. It'll be a rough season next year. And I think you're absolutely on to something with Georgia Tech having some issues just as a school itself. And it had nothing to do with Paul Johnson or the style of system, uh, system of offense that he ran at Tech. Think about what Paul Johnson was able to do with his flexbone offense. He was basically leveling the playing field, saying that, look, we're not going to out-recruit all these big programs, but we're going to run a style of offense that's going to be so hard for you to prepare that we're still going to be able to win games like that. And it worked. The issue with Georgia Tech is if you go into a system – like Northwestern or a Duke, where you're kind of saying, we're going to run the five offense like everyone else and just hope we can still get guys. You run the issue that if your guys in David Cutcliffe or Pat Fitzgerald, you're just going to be relevant. Yeah, you're not going to be able to get the athletes. And I think Georgia Tech might be the hardest school to get athletes to come to because of the selection of majors there. It's a lot of engineering kids. It's a lot of nerds, and there's not quite the campus pride that you see at a big state school. It's not Florida. It's not Michigan. It's not Alabama. Hey, not all of us are nerds. <laughs> I'm sorry. But it's just tough to get kids to decide that they want to go there. The other thing is, with the see Atlanta, we honestly may not be the fifth most popular team in the city. Yeah, so- that- there's a big SEC presence there and a big ACC presence there, and it's more than just Georgia Tech. Keeping it within the ACC, though, I want to talk about some early season schedules 
there are some teams that I I think we both agree have a chance to take off at the beginning of the year, start out looking impressive just because their schedule is easy on the front end. One team that you wanted to bring up was Boston College. Yes, if, Boston. Take look, if you take a look at that schedule, there are not that many tough games at the beginning. I think what Boston College is going to run into, which is really well for them, is that a lot of their track games are going to be early in the season when teams are still trying to figure stuff out. But Boston College is coming in with a proven product. We know A.J. Brown. He, we know he can run the ball. We know that Boston College will be able to control the tempo. And we know that they return a lot of talent. So besides the Virginia Tech game, is there any other game on that schedule that's going to really possess any sort of difficulty before they play Clemson? Uh, NC State on October 19th. So, by the way, listeners, if you don't know Boston College's schedule, it is Virginia Tech, Richmond, Kansas, at Rutgers, Wake Forest, at Louisville, a bye week, and then NC State. So... Their two toughest games are NC State and Virginia Tech, and they come with long rest, and they both come at home. I honestly think the Wake Forest game is tougher because NC State's got a new quarterback who I want to say is a Richard sophomore. I, I don't know if they announced who's going to start. I know Devin Leary is there. I believe he would be a redshirt freshman. There might be someone else ahead of him on the depth chart, but... I remember Leary in recruiting, and I really liked his film. So you're coming into a team without a quarterback, even with the bye week and coming into October. Is NC State really going to be ready to take out Boston College? Wake Forest, on the other hand, is another program that has a lot of talent. So that may be the game that trips them up. But we really don't know what's going to come out of Virginia Tech next season. Well, Wake Forest is going to start a new quarterback, too, whether it's Jamie Newman or Sam Hartman. Um, NC State right now, it does look like Matthew McKay is projected to be the starter. Um, he is a sophomore, and Devin Leary uh, still has freshman status because he redshirted last year. So both those teams will have new quarterbacks. Now, team, you were really high on was Minnesota, and I want to see why you were so high on Yeah, I really like Minnesota's schedule on the front end. I'm just going to read this off to you, and... Just game by game, tell me whether we'll, – well, we'll both say whether we think it's going to be a win or a loss. South Dakota State. Win. Win. At Fresno. Loss. Okay, you're high on Fresno despite them losing their quarterback as well. I like the defense. I like Jeff Tedford. But Minnesota is going to have a long week because they play South Dakota State on a Thursday night. I think they're going to go into Fresno and win. But while I can see them losing – even if you're going to pick them to lose, it's not a guaranteed loss. Georgia Southern? Win. Win. Uh, then they have a bye week. Then they go to Purdue. I think Lock they're going to win that. But, again, it's still not the most challenging game on their schedule. They move on to Illinois, Nebraska. Really? That's also their loss. All right. I, I think they're going to lose to Nebraska. But they'll beat Illinois. Then, then they'll play Nebraska. Then they go to Rutgers. And then they get Maryland at home. Then they get a bye week, and you're already to the midpoint of November where they play a big game against Penn State. In my opinion, there's a really good chance that they start out 7-1. and one. The problem with Minnesota in my book is besides the running back, they're just a very ordinary team. There's nothing 
about Minnesota that you really, really go on and say, I'm confident that they're going to be able to do this. They're going to either run the ball, throw the ball on people, stop the run. What about Minnesota are you really going to harp on that they can do really well that's going to be able to win those close toss-up games? There's a, quite a few of them on that schedule. Even Maryland's not going to be the easy win. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I just think that they have a lot of qualities of a successful team on offense. Their quarterbacks, I mean, they're decently efficient. But at wide receiver, you have your third down guy, a possession guy, Tyler Johnson, who can make a dependable catch. He had 78 catches and 12 touchdowns last year. I know P.J. Fleck has said at running back, you want a pair and a spare. They have Muhammad Ibrahim, uh, Rodney Smith, um, and they have plenty of recruits they're bringing in at running back to where I think that they can find their third running back, so they'll have depth there. I think they're just going to be a classic Big Ten team that's able to control the clock, they'll have decent success running the ball, and on third downs, they're going to be able to find their guy, Tyler Johnson, to move the sticks enough to beat some of these teams, whether it be Purdue or Fresno or Nebraska. We clearly see Minnesota's building something after the last two games win, beating Wisconsin and winning their bowl game in Detroit against my Yellow Jackets, but I don't think they're there yet. Like, there is, even though the running game's going to be good next season, I just still don't believe enough that Minnesota is ready to compete right now. Even yeah. with the schedule, they're going to lose some of those toss-up games. Because the Big Ten, depth-wise, is one of the strongest in the country. Oh, the West is, uh, I mean, that's a five, maybe six-team toss-up before throwing Minnesota in there. And I'm not saying Minnesota's going to win nine games, but I think if they can win six or seven of their first eight, that can create some hype, and in the long run, that's really going to help P.J. Fleck. But you know who's really going to buy some hype? <laughs> Who? Utah. Oh, yeah, we, we are both big fans of this Utah football team. So I talking about Utah, what do you like specifically about this Utah team? The biggest thing about this Utah team is their balance. Yes, we know the running game is strong, but the passing game is actually surprisingly not bad. It's not, you know, Alex Smith, but they return a decent passer. Actually, I was going to start out on the defensive side. Utah just has a lot of depth and a lot of size, and that really impressed me. But when you're talking about Utah, it is kind of hard to ignore their offense as well. They bring back a lot of weapons, including Tyler Huntley at quarterback. He's, I feel like he's been there forever. He might be the Pac-12's version of JT Barrett. You, you know, Huntley's efficient. Again, he's one of these quarterbacks that are just not going to make too many mistakes. He only threw six interceptions last year on 234 attempts. Zach Moss is a really talented running back who they bring back. And looking at their schedule, they go to Seattle to play Washington – on November 2nd. Other than that, I don't know which of these games is going to provide a huge challenge. Maybe at USC. Maybe their trip to Arizona. Maybe the game against Cal or ASU. What do you think? I mean, obviously with USC is going to be the challenge. Hopefully JT Daniels has a better year than he did last year. Though he wasn't terrible, just he didn't meet expectations. And it's on the road. We have no idea what the heck we going to get out of this USC football team. But after that, Arizona State should be solid. I know people were kind of mad about them last year because they were too boring. 
they're a solid football team. For bringing in an exciting head coach, where we thought it was going to go boom or bust, where they could be ten and two or they could be two and ten, they had the most Arizona State season you've ever seen—just seven and five, just, just just coasted right through to being completely average. And then California should be improved again. Again, I'm not very confident of what California team we're going to get, especially on the offensive side of the football. You remember the cheese at ball, right? I mean, this is like the Super Bowl of people who just love to watch football for defense and pass rushing schemes and press man coverage. And then you have the big Washington game. Yeah, so the, the great part about that Washington game, and yeah, they have to play Washington State as well, but they avoid Stanford and Oregon out of the north. Between... Washington, Washington State, and Oregon State, who, I mean, they're going to beat Oregon State, but between the two Washington schools, they could still drop one game, in theory, run the table for the rest of their schedule, be 11-1 in the Pac-12 championship game with probably a rematch with a Washington team or Oregon or Stanford with a college football playoff berth on the line. I think Utah's going to have a special season. I know... That SB Nation was kind of high on you already. Eighth in the country when people were ignoring that because Michigan was third. Yeah, I think that was Phil Steele, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah, so looking at their defense, their defense, I think, is really going to be what carries them. Last year, they, they had the 16th best scoring defense and the fifth best rushing defense in the country last year on points per game and yards per game, respectively. That's something special, especially in the Pac-12 where Arizona is going to run the ball, UCLA is going to run the ball, USC is probably going to have to lean on the run game, although I do like their receivers, BYU is going to run the ball, Cal's going to have to run the ball, and Washington, uh, they're probably going to have to run the ball too. I think Utah, because of their defense and because Huntley and Moss are going to provide enough juice on the offense, can have a really special season. If only people watched them. <laughs> yep, that the distribution of the Pac-12 network and their television deal is another topic for another episode. So let's shift to this. There are a lot of really intriguing games in the month of September that have a ton of interest from storylines that built up from last year and in the offseason this year. Some of these teams are overhyped. Some of these games are going to be rematches of things from last year. The first one I want to start with is not a rematch. That will be LSU going to Austin to play at Texas in Week 2. What are your thoughts on that game? LSU is going to handle Texas pretty easily. It's not that Texas is a bad team. It's just I do not like how they match up with LSU. Yeah, Texas loses a ton on defense, including pretty much everybody in the front seven. And LSU has a great offensive line. They're going to beat Texas to a pulp. I don't think Texas is much of a shot, even at home, to win this game. And think about the difference of styles between Georgia and LSU. Georgia on the defensive end is going to come after the passer. And last year, it was if you couldn't dice on Baker, because no one could dice on Baker, pretty much picked apart the other corners. LSU, on the other hand, they're going to come after the rusher. But the secondary is, in my opinion, the best in college football. Obviously, everybody's really high on Texas because they bring back Sam Ellinger. But at the same time, like I said, they lose a ton defensively. Lil' Jordan Humphrey 
probably the best name in college football last year, Lil Jordan. They lose him. Sure, they bring back Colin Johnson. They bring back Devin Duvernay. And the secondary will be really talented. But Texas, in the trenches, they're not going to be what they were last year. And the, the trenches, that's where you win football games. And that's where LSU is going to win this game. Now let's bring us back to what we talked about earlier with Houston. They in state to a Washington State-Houston game, which is technically a neutral site game. It's the same thing that ECU did last year with Ohio State. They're going to bring in more people, so there's no point in having it in the ADs and the moneymakers' mind of having it in Houston Stadium. Move it to NRG with a bigger stadium and bigger capacity, sell more money, contract. Except for being on campus and college traditions and being able to tailgate and having the students walk to the games and stuff from their door. Uh, okay, whatever. Time to stop uh, complaining about neutral site games and actually take a look at this game objectively. I think Houston showed their true colors in their bowl game. This defense might actually give up 100 points. I don't know what to expect from Washington State, but I know it's Mike Leach. He'll find a quarterback. He'll find receiving talent. They're going to throw the ball all over the yard, especially on a, on a team with a ton of holes. This is going to be an entertaining game for about three quarters, and the final score might actually be 100 to 70. But Washington State will win. I think we agree that Washington State will win, but I don't think you're giving enough credit to what Houston could potentially do. Obviously, you think of the Eric King when you think of the Houston Cougars, but the rest of the team's not that bad whatsoever. They're going to be able to move the ball up and down the field. They're going to be able to hit their receivers because they do return a lot of receiving talent. They also have a good crop of running backs next year, headlined by Patrick Carr. You know, Houston has so much talent on the offensive side. Holgerson's system, I mean, it's what all the kids in Texas are running with spreading it out and the air raid all over the place. Um. Washington State runs something similar, conducive to running up the score on both ends. Um, bet the over in this game and tune in. It'll be a Friday night game. If you can find time to watch it, it's going to be a ton of fun. But Washington State, we both agree, is going to win. The only other team in Texas we're going to talk about, I promise this is it. I do want to cover the Texas A&M Clemson game. This is also week two, just like the LSU-Texas game. This is going to be your typical game where it's close at halftime, maybe seven or eight points, and then Clemson will either get the ball to start the second half or make a stop at the start of the second half, go down the field, score, score, score again. They're going to win the third quarter because they have better depth. I love what Jimbo's building, but Clemson's going to pull away in this one. This is where we disagree. I think A&M's going to get it done, even in Death Valley. You are forgetting two things. One, Clemson pretty much is replacing their entire defensive line. Like, I don't okay. care how much depth you got. It is really, really hard to replace maybe the best defensive line you'll ever see in college football. Although I think K.J. Henry and uh, Xavier Thomas can do a pretty good job at replacing those guys. But continue. I mean, they're great players. They're not – do you see Clint Burrow there? Do you see Christian Wilkins, Dexter Lawrence? Uh, I saw tons of Osterine and findings from a report that Clemson would not release because they all were taking PEDs. 
But I believe in Kellen Mond for one game. I don't know if I believe in him for a full season. I think one game Kellen Mond can get it done. And Texas A&M offensive line should be good enough to where they can get it done. And I don't think this is a type of game. I know we were caught up in Trevor Lawrence the way he did at the end of the year. But I don't think this is the type of game that they're going to need to score 40 points. I really think if they can get about 30 or 28, they can get it done. I think the Texas A&M defensive line and the secondary, which is losing a little bit of talent, but overall should be pretty solid, is going to be able to slow down Lawrence just a little bit. You know, I think what you're thinking is that we might see a game reminiscent to some of the Clemson-Florida State games we've seen in the past when Jimbo was there. I think the style of A&M will look a lot like what the style of Jimbo Fisher, Florida State looked like. And I think we're both in agreement here that it's going to be really interesting. This is just going to have to be one of those ones where we have to agree to disagree. You think A&M will win, and I think Clemson's going to win, and that'll be that. I think we are in agreement with one thing. Notre Dame's not walking into Georgia and getting a win. Absolutely not. I don't think Notre Dame's going to have the talent defensively to stop DeAndre Swift. Georgia loses a lot of their receiving talent. Holloman is gone for the year because of domestic violence issues. That doesn't matter. Jake Fromm is elite. DeAndre Swift is a top five running back in college football. And that Georgia defense is going to be nasty. Notre Dame loses their offensive line coach. I just have a lot more trust in Georgia and that atmosphere because that's going to be a special, special atmosphere at Sanford Stadium. I think Georgia wipes the floor with Notre Dame. Can we get a hashtag SEC speed going? Because that's what this game's going to look like. Notre Dame's a good team. They're definitely going to be in the playoff conversation for the entire year. But Georgia's another type of fast. You saw it last year. You saw a glimpse of it in their championship season. Well, they're almost championship season. Sorry, Georgia fans. You still haven't won a championship since 85. Yeah, I believe that would actually be 1980 with Herschel Walker, but don't worry. Uh, Georgia Tech has still won the more recent championship. And hell, even Michigan has won a more recent championship in 97. That was not a half championship. That was a full championship. The fleet kicker was illegal. I want to shift back to Clemson, though, for a second. They go to Syracuse in week three. This is a game that's been really close the last two years. Syracuse won two years ago at the Carrier Dome, and Clemson needed Chase Price to save them at uh, in Death Valley last year in what ended up being one of the best games of the season. What do you think is going to happen here? Clemson's, again, going to wipe the floor, just like they did with NC State last year. You know, I agree with that. Last year, we saw NC State... We all thought they had confidence. They came in ranked number 16. They were, we thought, focused, but Clemson was focused and just more talented. This year, Syracuse, you couldn't have said it better, is going to be NC State. They're just going to get kicked in the dicks, and Clemson's going to walk out of the Carrier Dome. I think they'll be 3-0. and You think they'll be 2-1 and because they'll lose to A&M, but they'll still have their eyes on the playoff. Regardless of what happens in the A&M game, I can still see Clemson beating the crap out of Syracuse. That I agree with. Clemson, either they're coming in 3-0 or 2-1. Syracuse is a, is a nice story. I love the head coach. But 
There's no Eric Dungy walking in anytime soon, even if she was like Tommy DeVito. Yeah, DeVito, DeVito will be good. He is somehow gracing the cover of my Athlon Sports College football preview along with A.J. Dillon and Ian Book, despite the fact that he's not been a starter at the collegiate level. We've talked about that game enough for now. Clemson is going to beat up on Syracuse. Another game I want to talk about is Ohio State and Indiana in week three. This game is in Bloomington. Indiana always seems to keep it close. Is this the year that they can knock off Ohio State? A lot of confidence, a lot of balance with Peyton Ramsey, along with Evie Scott. But no, it's not. I'm sorry, Indiana fans. This is still Indiana football we're talking about. You know, I think when it comes to Ohio State, this might be their first real test. We've seen Indiana keep it close. Justin Fields hasn't had to play in a big game at the college level yet. Jake Fromm has sort of been that guy to cover for him. I do think Indiana will keep it close. This is going to be the same as usual, though. You can cut and paste that game from two years ago where it was a Thursday night opener and game day was there, where Indiana at halftime is either leading or within a score, and Indiana's by the end of the game, going to be down by four or five scores. But we're going to learn something out of this game, and I think we're going to learn that Justin Fields is going to have trouble throwing the ball down the field this year. I think we're going to learn that Justin Fields can do a little bit more than just make good handoffs. Justin Fields is going to I don't know. I want him to walk off not just the practice field of Georgia, but Memorial Stadium in Bloomington saying, today I handed the ball off good as fuck. 